and welcome to the Reopening Consortium webinar. This is the final of a series of eight webinars that have been happening every Tuesday for the past two months. My name is Toby Tamaya. I am the president of a local agency called AT Marketing. And my name is Sandy Santiago Narvez, and I'm the director of sales and marketing at the Ritz-Carlton Residences Waikiki Beach. This series is a collaboration between the Travel Industry Management International and the Scheidler College of Business Administration Alumni Association. This series was born from a simple discussion that evolved into the, into the realization of a need. We needed to hear from our leaders in our various industries. We needed them together, united, and we needed their help in determining our own plans to reopen successfully. But ultimately, this series is about what you need. So please, if you have any questions for our panelists, go ahead and drop them in our Q&A box. Our moderators will monitor your questions and select as many as possible to review at the end of our webinar. These webinars were offered at no cost by the two alumni associations. They were designed to stimulate ideas for solutions that became implemented by key tourism leaders, large and small business owners, employees working in the tourism industry, college students studying the travel industry and related fields, and the general public. Topics include tourism, health, and safety, an update from our airline and hotel sector, restarting businesses in retail and dining, and a special webinar focused on the recovery of tourism from Japan. The goal of these seminars is to save small businesses, save jobs, and provide hope to our attendees with positive and forward-thinking messages. You can see all of our previous webinars at www.shiler.hawaii.edu slash reopeningtourism. Additionally, the Scheidler College of Business recently started a new virtual fundraising campaign called Scheidler Strong. Proceeds raised will help us to provide critical funds for our students and our programs to help us to perpetuate a legacy of excellence for the college. If Scheidler has touched your life or you are receiving value from these webinars, we encourage you to give what you can. No gift is too small and it helps us to move forward in creating a bright future for our community. Together, we can help keep Scheidler strong. Since these seminars are during the day, we are featuring a local restaurant to highlight during our webinar. Today's restaurant is Dean and DeLuca. I'm eating this Kalamata olive and cheese bread loaf that they're selling Saturdays at the Kakaka Farmer's Market. I would also like to mention the producers behind this webinar, Evan Leong, CEO of Brain Game Hawaii, and Buddy Leong, Executive Director of Virtual Student Experiences. I got my Dean and DeLuca too. I'm surrounded by some swag today. You can't really see it, but it's there. And today I'm in, enjoying this Aloha Aina meal kit with Kunoa beef wellington, seared potato fondant, Opala Foods oyster mushrooms, and a roasted beef demi-glaze with a poached pear custard tart. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited for this. Dina DeLuca does such an amazing job at supporting local by incorporating local ingredients into internationally appealing dishes. Man, that looks amazing. I actually got that over the weekend and I already ordered next week's dish, which is gonna be this truffle stuffed turkey. Yeah. Hey, let's get started. I read the majority of our speakers attended or are graduates of the University of Hawaii. So proud. I think that just proves that staying home for your college education can be very rewarding for those that choose that path. We are proud to be UH alumni. I'll sign off for a bit and I'll see you guys at the end of this webinar. My last one. Oh, Toby. All right. Let's get on to the webinar. I'll be moderating the speaker portion with Trevor Newman, sales manager at the Hawaii Convention Center. Welcome, Trevor. Thank you, Sandy, Toby, for the introductions. Um, I look forward to this important discussion today. Um, it's a very impacted industry in 2020. That's activities, events, and the wedding industry. 
We're just going to start with each speaker providing an update on their industry impacts, pivots, and outlook. And following that, two current University of Hawaii students will moderate a panel discussion with questions generated by other students. And finally, I'll be back to moderate your questions, so please leave them in the Q&A box. Our first um, speakers today are the father-daughter duo of one of the largest event production companies in Hawaii. With 35 years of production experience, current affairs in Hawaii has pushed the boundaries to create experiences and design spaces that are a feast for the eyes and tantalize all the senses. With statewide service capabilities, the company has produced thousands of events across the Hawaiian island chain that facilitate relationships and creates memories. The company specializes in event production, stage management, entertainment, venue management, lighting and sound, design and decor, as well as food and beverage. It specializes in events um, of all sizes, whether it's 50 guests or 5,000. CEO and founder Philip Richardson launched Current Affairs, formerly called International Catering Concepts in 1984, and challenged the industry to elevate event experiences with imagination and innovation. And today, his daughter Tiffany Richardson runs the day-to-day -day operations and continues to grow and evolve the company to new levels of success. So welcome to the discussion, Philip and Tiffany. Thank you. Thank you very much. We're really uh, thrilled to be here and honored. Uh, but firstly, what I'd like to do is I'd like to apologize to the Scheidler tourism students listening in today. And the reason is because in the past, I've been honored uh, with invitations to guest speak to your class about special events in the tourism industry. And this year, I declined. Yes, due to COVID, but for a different reason. It's because it was a recorded presentation. So please listen in over the next few minutes and you'll understand our perspective about using virtual connectivity regarding special events in the tourism industry. So firstly, where is our perspective coming from? Now we've been, as uh, we were just saying a moment ago, that we've been a small business for 36 years, producing special events to the mainland and international corporate incentive marketplace, as well as servicing the local marketplace. 36 years ago, tourism had just started to explore off-property events and theme parties. And that's when I met John Morgan. Uh, tourism was looking to expand their guests' experiences with fabulous event productions outside of the hotels that they were staying. And since then, current affairs has been through United Airlines strikes, dock, dockyard strikes, gosh, hurricanes even tsunami and of course 9-11 and the financial crash so all of that that built us up with a lot of resilience so when when the world got hit by COVID-19 our resilience focused on two primary things from my accent you know I'll say the royal we that is our team we focused on their well-being and then we also focused on preserving cash because folks it's going to be a long haul for the live events world to come back, but it's going to do so dramatically and theatrically. Yes, pent up demand for concerts and events tells us there's a need to hit all the senses. And no matter how much anyone attempts to do this virtually, live events are irreplaceable. So how are we gonna get there or here, okay? The answer is it's gonna be evolving with time. Event industry professionals have had time on their hands and so have many of their clients. 
Everyone's been refining their use of online platforms to keep their virtual attendees engaged. But you and I know the level of concentration is diluted by distractions that are all around. Current Affairs is looking forward to version 2.0. It's going to be an emotionally charged hybrid version of this event. And it's going to be presented with Hollywood prowess. It's going to be fantastic. Now, part of our evolution of here at Current Affairs is that we've been able to create a specialty event decor rental company named Event Accents. Event Accents will be servicing the corporate planners handling their own events. You see what they're doing is minimizing the cost of so many of these COVID-related expenses that have been added on to their conference. So they're going to do as much themselves as they can. So Event Accents will be there. It's going to help the hotels keep the event business in the hotel boardrooms. Although there will be clients venturing off to venues like Kualoa Ranch and Iolani Palace in order to connect with a culturally rich Hawaii experience. So meanwhile, our team at Current Affairs has been preparing for what will be needed by the marketplace when live events are mainstream again. Now this includes studying what must be achieved for mainland corporations to invest in live events. We've all heard the health and safety protocol checklist touted by hotels and airlines, even during this webinar series, we've heard a lot of it. Um, and they receive hundreds of people at a time. Yet there is government resilient reticence for live events. And why is that? Well, let's talk truth. Events, concerts, weddings, and parties, they're regarded as a time to cut loose and have fun. <laughs> now that means it's a catalyst for another COVID spike. However, it's important we help government differentiate between corporate organized events and social cut loose events. There's a big difference. No one wants another shutdown, especially hotels and restaurants. So they will be maintaining their policies. Success, well, it's defined as no spikes. And that then will evolve with this question, still embracing the mantra, what can be added to create an exceptional experience? And the mantra is be safe Hawaii. This is where live events will get its chance to enter the room with 50, then 100, then 200 attendees before climbing back into thousands of concert goers. These incremental increases will only succeed with enforced requirements for event organizers. Undoubtedly, there will be challenges. Even crowd control pre-COVID, there's the frenzy of arrivals, and now organizers need to temper their hospitality with even more control because guests might forget or neglect the safety protocols during the event. The capacity limits could get breached. Oh, you can squeeze them in. No, organizers must stand firm. So government knows that the event industry is serious about getting solidly back on its feet again. And finally, remember, whatever we've just learned in the last couple of months, it's going to be outdated in a month or two. And to state the obvious, evolution is an ongoing effort. Now this evolution it cannot be taken lightly. Indeed, the very revival of Hawaii's tourism is under scrutiny by our community. 
tourism is open and it could become a free for all as more gatherings take place legally or illegally because we all need to make up for lost revenue. But no, as Pono Shim said, he implied everything we do moving tourism forward, it must be made with mana, the power of sense and sensibility, moving from quantity towards quality. And quality is an intentional act. And adding, event, adding events back into the mix is vital to provide visitors exceptional experiences. So let us conclude with the action steps to meet convent, the convention market's expectations. Some meeting planners will want a vaccine in place and they'll want to see success with Hawaii's testing policies. The events industry needs to embrace the health and safety policies that come with COVID restrictions. And by conducting events in this fashion, we are in fact training or exposing all guests to the new normal for group gatherings. A corporate meeting planner's biggest nightmare is the unknown. Whether it be a poorly managed COVID prevention plan or go to the other extreme where things get out of hand with the speculation the floodgates will open up due to pent up demand. Now to manage these concerns, our local events industry is forming a coalition of industry experts in an effort to give our city and state government a well-defined path forward to open up events and concerts again, legally and effectively. And this will not be exclusive to one company. We are all talk about being in this together and this coalition will have the best interests of all its constituents at heart, including the entertainers. Now, for instance, we will recommend event venues, hotels, concert venues, and Terry, the convention center. We're going to adopt the same uniform COVID-related policies from one venue to the next. And that way, just like the National Event Safety Alliance has a policy with COVID guidelines, the co coalition leadership would then work with Department of Health to create a COVID defense best practices. It's a certification process and special training for event COVID safety officers. The coalition leadership would spearhead the campaign for event industry companies to become Hawaii state certified in adopting COVID defense best practices. Each hotel and venue would then be able to reassure their clients that not only Hawaii certified event industry partners, they would be the ones on their properties to operate similar to the hotel or venue with the rest of their own staff. The coalition would remain the conduit for con communicating to its constituents, changing rules and regulations as they relate to the pandemic containment. So in conclusion, no one realized the value of live events until they were banned. Government officials need to know the value of live events and how event organizers have the ability to demonstrate in real time how to regather and regroup by using crowd control expertise and implementing COVID events best practices. The more people experience uniformity in managing event health and safety, the more the practices will be replicated and our corporate meeting planners can be reassured 
that Hawaii's tourism is diligently back in business, focused on exceptional quality experiences. Thank you. Mahalo, Philip and Tiffany. I look forward to your next magical and memorable production at the Ritz-Carlton. Next is Terry Orton, General Manager of the Hawaii Convention Center. Terry Orton is responsible for the overall management of the Hawaii Convention Center, including sales and marketing, operations, finance, food and beverage, and customer service, while implementing the strategic position and marketing plans for this facility in conjunction with the Hawaii Tourism Authority. Hawaii Visitors Convention Bureau and the, and the Meet Hawaii team. She has over 25 years of hospitality experience, including posts as a hotel general manager, director of sales and marketing and other management roles. Terry received her communications degree from the University of Hawaii. Aloha, Terry. Aloha and good morning, everyone. Thank you for this opportunity to speak on behalf of Hawaii Tourism Authority and the Hawaii Convention Center. Um, we have been busy since the start of this pandemic, and I'm not sure if Trevor, are you going to share the screen or the PowerPoint that we have put together? So our convention center, fortunately, was able to shift very quickly our business model from events and meetings to um, opening our center to service our community. So since the start of the pandemic, as our business started to cancel um, with travel restrictions put in place, we quickly shifted our business model to opening our convention center to service our community through um, the unemployment office moved in to utilize our space to expand their offices. Um, and that was to be compliant with the social distancing re restrictions that were put in place. Um, so from the start of the pandemic, pandemic, we were really quickly moving to putting in all of our safety and health protocols in our center. Um, you know, starting as early as April 1st, we had Department of um, Labor that moved in about 350 um, workstations. Um, and then probably a few months after that, Department of Health moved in with a, a few hundred workstations for contract tracing. And then um, we also had the Office of Elections that moved into our exhibit hall space to do voter ballot counting for the primary and for general election. So for us at the convention center, it was um, really expediting these health and safety protocols and tweaking it along the way. Um, we've had eight months now to improve and to add to our health and safety protocols. And fortunately for us, um, knock on wood, we haven't had any COVID cases um, housing hundreds of people on a daily basis. I mean, we're open seven days a week um, as extended office space to the state agencies. So I'm gonna run you through a quick PowerPoint more or less to give you some visuals of what we implemented at our center. So you're looking at here is, you know, signage throughout our building is communicating um, upon arrival what to expect. And so we've put together a opening plan for all meeting planners and for any attendee to access via our website so that they are not caught off guard. When they arrive to our convention center, they know exactly what protocols are in place and what they need to adhere to once entering our building. So um, upon entry, everyone must um, enter through a temperature screening checkpoint. Um, masks are required at all times throughout um, the building. And then of course, practicing social distancing and there's signage everywhere throughout our building. 
We've also put in place, next slide please, Trevor. We've also put in place um, sanitization stations, which allows attendees to use um, disinfectant whenever they're coming out of a meeting or going into a meeting. We've purchased um, state-of-the-art art equipment, electrostatic disinfecting um, sprayers that allows us to spray um, frequently use areas throughout the building frequently. I mean, we're every hour we have high touch points that we try to clean um, throughout the course of the day to ensure that um, any area that an attendee may touch like a, a doorknob or a handrail on an escalator that we clean that every hour. Next slide, please. And then we've also had to implement um, food safety protocols. So the traditional um, buffet service um, or, you know, has kind of gone to the wayside. We've now had to move to implementing a modified food service, which um, we have sneeze guards now and a traditional buffet service is now served by an attendee and the, um, an attendee of our staff. And then the, the attendee of the meeting actually walks through the buffet line and points out what they want on their plate and they're given their um, plate at the end of the service line. And we've moved away from the traditional serve yourself. Um, everything is prepackaged, um, trying to reduce as much contact as possible, even at checkout, where we've purchased um, contactless payment options now for attendees. Next slide, please. So this is an example of what department the actually the Department of Health and the Department of Labor is using currently. Now, this is an actual um, picture of the 350 workstations that we set up, set up with social distancing being practiced. And this has been used since April. We also have um, on the lower left-hand side of the slide is classroom style setup. So we've also had to change our capacity or occupancy per room now, um, whereas you know you could fit probably 2,000 people in this room uh, on the upper picture. Now it's down to 350 using social distancing. So, um, you know, utilizing space in our center, meeting planners are going to have to work with us to adjust their floor plan and set up for all of their meetings because they're having to expand and use more space to ensure that they have social, social distancing in place. Um, and, you know, it varies by room and by setup. So if it's whether it's banquet rounds or classroom style or theater style, um, and then the occupancy levels change. So it's quite an adjustment for us and for meeting planners um, when planning their meetings now. And then lastly, um, we have created a turnkey video production service. And this is really to service this, our new meetings of the future, which is a hybrid meeting. Um, you know, nothing can, can replace face-to-face -face meetings. And I think we all want that at some, to get back to that point. Um, but for now, we're having to adjust our business model and make this as easy as possible for meeting planners when booking Hawaii as their destination for their next meeting. This live streaming option uh, we have set up is allows um, attendees to either pre-record speakers um, or panel interviews, and then to also have live streaming available. Um, you know, as 
as you know, the pros of this would be increase in registration. Um, you know, it allows more attendees to attend a conference without having to, um, you know, travel and the additional expense. Um, and then the cons to that obviously is less visitors to the state of Hawaii and, um, you know, less, they're not shopping, they're not dining, et cetera. So um, obviously we, we want to get back to live face-to-face -face meetings. And until then we have to basically change our meeting models so that we can accommodate um, servicing our clients during this pandemic. Next slide, please. And then lastly, um, I just wanted to share with all of you our PACE report. And so this report basically maps out what we have on the books at the convention center. And this is just at the convention center. Um, and you can see here our need years, you know, obviously the first remaining of this year and into next year. Um, but our need years looking forward is 2023 and 2026. Um, conventions or offshore citywide groups usually book anywhere from five to 10 years out. Um, some of these meetings are on rotation, meaning that they come every five, seven or 10 years to our destination um, or to other cities. And so our goal is to get more tentative um, business in the pipeline so that we can look at converting them to definites for these need periods, 2023 and 2026 onward um, and offering, you know, our virtual packages for now and hoping that, um, you know, by the time we get to 2022 or 2023, there's a vaccine and we'll have um, more opportunity to bring larger attendees to the state of Hawaii. Um, you know, as um, was mentioned previously, you know, right now we are challenged with having just any, any um, events at the center. I think um, a lot of meeting planners are nervous. Some of them are still pushing forward. We still have some citywide pieces of business on the books for 2021. I think some of the meeting planners are really optimistic that, you know, there is going to be a vaccine or that they can hold their meeting in a hybrid fashion, meaning having some attendees um, and then also using um, live streaming as an option. I can tell you it's been certainly challenging at the convention center. 2020 was one of our best convention years and I've been at the center now for seven years and 2020 we had the highest amount of citywide conventions on the books. I think we had 11 large conventions all over 5,000 attendees for each um, meeting and so to see that slowly cancel or to move to other years in the future was, um, you know, a tough nut to swallow, but, you know, we're optimistic. We tried our very best to not lose the business, but to try to push it to another year. Um, all of our hotel partners worked diligently with us, um, with the meeting planners to come up with options for dates um, and, you know, really being creative now and looking at using hotel space as well as the center just to accommodate um, larger meetings now that um, may not fit in our building. We're having to be very creative um, using outdoor space um, and working with other hotel partners to accommodate um, meetings in the future. And that's it for my presentation. So I guess I, do we open it up for questions now, Trevor? No, I'll take it from here. Thanks, Terry. Um, 
I'm, I'm honestly, I'm proud to be part of your team. We, we definitely have put a lot of things in place. So we're looking forward to getting back to business. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, so next we'll have John Morgan, president of Kualoa Ranch. He started his work career at Kualoa Ranch in 1971 as a part-time laborer. He became manager of the family-owned company in 1981 and when they when the company only employed eight people. He then start, um, diversified outdoor recreation operations at the ranch in 1985. And since then, Kualoa Ranch has grown to employ 360 people. Its primary endeavors are cattle ranching, diversified agriculture, outdoor recreation, education, and real estate. John studied at the University of Hawaii, majoring in economics. Mahalo for joining the conversation, John. Thanks, Trevor. Uh, this is a great honor to be a part of this panel, especially I've got a couple of old friends and actually mentors, uh, Philip and Terry and Paula are old friends and, and, uh, and, and, and everybody in this panel is great. Um, the attractions and activities part of the visitor industry is, is very important. I think we all know that, you know, you have airlines, you have hotels, you got restaurants, you got retails retail operations and, and, and the attractions are, are a lot of what people uh, want to come to Hawaii and, and experience Hawaii. So we provide, you know, an, an, an important thing for people to do. All of us in this industry are responsible for keeping everybody safe. Uh, honestly, I feel like uh, this is not where the spread is going to occur, but it's uh, incumbent upon, upon all of us. Uh, we shut down on, on March 16th and open up on June 1st. Uh, the first time um, we, we, we shut down again, uh, when we opened up, we, we had uh, implemented all kinds of COVID practices uh, from contact tracing to sanitation to social distancing and all of that. We had put our sustainability manager and a, and a team of people together to uh, create our COVID procedures and, and got them up and running. So we were able to open up when we're open up again in uh, late September after the shutdown, um, we've been slowly building over time since then. Uh, to give a little understanding of uh, our scope of operations, uh, before COVID, we had five different activities, horseback rides, ATV rides, a zip line, uh, electric assist mountain bikes, kayaks. We had six different tours of the ranch. Uh, you know, the ranch is a large place, almost 4,000 acres with three hapupua. And uh, so the six different tours, uh, each of the activities and the tours would go out at uh, multiple times a day. And so we were to uh, accommodate up to 2,000 people a day on a busy day. So, uh, so that was a uh, that was, that was us before COVID. Uh, after COVID, uh, we've uh, pivoted. We've had to pivot like everybody else. Now we drop the kayaks. We only uh, offer four activities and, uh, and three tours, all with greatly diminished uh, um, offerings per day, just so we could keep our costs under control and, uh, and, and basically meet the demands of the, uh, of, of the market. Uh, when we first opened, it was primarily local people. We actually discounted 30 to 40% almost across the board just to get people in the doors to keep our employees busy. And even though we're still losing money, it was worthwhile for us to, to open, mainly because we thought that we could do it safely. Uh, we're an outdoor activity destination. And because of our COVID procedures and the nature of our activities, uh, we, we thought and we, we continue to think that, uh, that um, you know, things, things are, are, our customers and our employees really appreciate the, the procedures. 
So now, uh, as we've built back a little bit since uh, since uh, October 15th, as tourism starts uh, starts to come back, uh, we're accommodating on a really busy day up to 700 people a day. So that's uh, still with a mix of locals and uh, and, and visitors. Uh, as far as product pivoting, um, you know, one of the things that we did was we had one of our tours. Uh, we called it the Premier Movie Sites Tour. And we pivoted to something we call the Jurassic Adventure Tour. We were able to, the, the first tour had uh, enclosed uh, vehicles uh, and, and, and relatively limited capacity. Uh, and so we went to an open vehicle with a bigger capacity so we could social distance uh, uh, in the vehicle. So that was one of our, one of our um, pivots on the, on the tour side. Uh, another pivot uh, that we're working on right now, uh, the industry is, uh, is, is asking for a Malama program. I think we all know John DeFries, uh, who's the right leader for Hawaii's tourist industry at this time. Uh, he and the industry are, are, are basically you know, putting forth the notion that you know, it's all of our kuleana to Malama each other, Malama the aina, Malama the culture, Malama everything. And uh, so there is a demand for a Malama program. We're still working on it. We're working on a higher price point and a longer duration or a lower price point and a shorter duration tour. But uh, there's, there's, there's moves with the hotels. Uh, there's a demand by the hotels to come up with something like this. So uh, this is what we're working on as far as a pivot. Uh, we're also not kind of sitting there waiting and uh, for things to come back. Uh, we're, we're actually doubling down on what we think are some of the key attributes of, uh, of, of Kuloa Ranch and what uh, customers are looking for. Uh, basically, the Hawaiian culture, agriculture, and, and stewardship of, of the property. Uh, you know, everybody comes to Hawaii and, and they value the natural environment, they value the culture and, and as an agricultural operation. Uh, and when I say doubling down, we're continuing to invest in these parts of the operation just because we think our customers value it. And, uh, and, and, and so we're continuing to do kind of investments uh, in, in the land and in, in these type of operations just to create more value, uh, you know, both to us and to our guests and, and our, our, our customers. As far as our F&B operations, uh, um, like Carrie had said, you know, we are no longer doing the, the uh, buffets that we used to have. We used to have two different buffets for different customer groups. We've been discontinued all of that. Uh, we, we own, we've increased a lot of our grab and go and, uh, and, and otherwise we, we, we allow customers to get takeout through what we call the hotline where you order it and, and you take it out. Uh, another part of our, our operations as Philip alluded to was uh, uh, weddings and, and special events. Uh, you know, I think in 2019, we did over 400 weddings at, uh, at the ranch. We're just a venue. Uh, we don't uh, do all of the production and everything. Uh, and so all of those have canceled. We've pivoted a little bit. Uh, we, we've done some elopements. Uh, <laughs> so we're gonna see as, as things uh, progress, uh, as, as the group size uh, as we're allowed to do group sizes, uh, uh, bigger group sizes. Sports events have all canceled. We, we've, we do three big sports events a year. On a, uh, and so that's, uh, that's all canceled. 
one of the things that we also pivoted with is uh, with our agricultural operations. Um, when everything shut down, we we converted. We still had to we produce pigs. We produce uh, beef. We produce shrimp. We produce tilapia. We produce all kinds of different things uh, at the ranch. We started off with a farm to car program uh, every Friday, and that was well received. Uh, and, and, and after a while, we pivoted to our own farmer's market and, uh, and actually were very surprised and grateful for the amount of local support that we have. Uh, it's open like the ranch now, uh, only four days a week. We're closed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We're thinking about going to uh, opening on Wednesday. But the ag uh, farmer's market has, uh, has been a great new development for us, and we expect to continue uh, our direct-to-the-consumer farmer's market after things uh, actually come back to normal, whenever normal is. So anyway, I know we're running a little behind time, and so I'll, I'll just wrap it up. But I, I, I want to say that, uh, you know, again, with the, uh, with, the, with the situation that everybody's faced with, it's incumbent on all of us to make sure that we do a good job at, uh, at uh, Malama, Malama everything, Malama each other, Malama our staff, our families, uh, Malama our guests, the land. Uh, um, it's just a, it's a wonderful thing. People want to come to Hawaii and they want to see the nature and, and uh, attractions uh, and activities are going to be a big part of, uh, of the industry, the visitor industry going forward. And, uh, and, it's, uh, and, and, it's, and we're looking forward to getting back to a bigger, more robust economy. Thank you. Mahalo, John. I look forward to visiting the ranch again soon. Apollo, Oh, thank you. I'll bring the kids. <laughs> Paula Kana is next. She is the executive director with the Friends of Iolani Palace and is much known for her 30 plus years as a broadcast journalist for KITV Island News. Paula is a graduate of the Kamehameha Schools and the University of Hawaii at Manoa, where she received her Bachelor of Arts degree in journalism. Paula has served with a number of local nonprofit organizations over the years, including the Board of Directors for YMCA Metro Honolulu and Ma'o Farms, and is a member of the Hawaiian Civic Club of Honolulu. She has also volunteered with the Polynesian Voyaging Society for many years, working on education initiatives, voyaging planning, and fundraising efforts. Thank you for joining us today, Paula. Thank you. Um, excited to... Uh, be here. I think these have been um, absolutely terrific, um, that, what you've been putting on, um, and I thank you for allowing me to be here. Um, you know, I, I think I've been asked to talk a little bit about how I feel cultural education will play a role as, as we bring back tourism, and I think it kind of goes back to a pre-COVID in many ways. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk throughout the industry pre-COVID that you know, we had record numbers of visitors coming into the islands, but was there an imbalance, you know, between um, the local community and the visitors and what was going on? And I think we were, we were actually kind of headed towards a direction and looking at some kind of change, you know, how had we reached the breaking point? Here at Iolani Palace, I just came on in July of 2019, and we were looking at a, at a record year for us um, as the Friends of Iolani Palace. Um, a little bit of background on who we are, um, we're a nonprofit. We actually have a long-term lease 
for um, Iolani Palace and the different uh, buildings that are on our grounds. Our landlord is DLNR, we're actually a state park, state monument, but we don't have any funding from the state um, outside of grant and aids for, for some specialty programs. So I went to the legislature last year to talk about, you know, getting some cocoa because a 138 year old building, as you can imagine, is really costly. And, and we were basically just, you know, skating by despite record numbers for us at the palace. And the more that we talked to people, the more idea was coming from a lot of the lawmakers that we just need to, we need to get more people to go through your doors. And that doesn't work with a 138 year old house museum, right? Structurally, she just can't hold anymore. Pre-COVID, we were seeing 400 to 500 people coming in uh, throughout the day for either guided tours with our docents or audio tours, and that was six days a week. And then when we closed on March uh, 19th, and it's it's similar to what John said, right? Everything came to a to a screeching halt, and with that, it was our income. We realized that we had 93% of our income was coming from tours and gift shop sales. And so we really had to work on figuring out what we were gonna do. We spent those two months being closed in getting prepared to eventually reopen. And so when we did reopen two months later, we felt really confident because our team, as small as it was, and we did have to let go almost half of our staff, we really put protocols into place. I think Iolani Palace is an extremely safe place to come and visit. But the caveat is because of the government restrictions and the social distancing guidelines, we're not seeing 400 people a day. We're seeing a maximum, maximum of 120 people a day. And we did offer deep discounts for our Kama'ainas. And I think that was really important. We, as a, many of the museums and cultural trans, uh, organizations weren't sure what was gonna happen when we reopened because we knew we were reopening to our Kama'aina, but our Kama'aina for so long kind of felt shut out from many of the places that were overrun, they felt, by uh, visitors. And so we weren't sure how they were gonna react, but they, they came in droves. And we've been really, really blessed to have um, our Kama'aina. And now we're starting to see the visitors come in. But you know, it kind of brings up that whole idea of where do we wanna see the visitor industry going? And how important is cultural education in that? We have taken the idea of we know what it's like now to have depended on numbers and to have been really hurt badly by that. So we've been looking at more specialty tours, um, specialty tours that educate um, our visitors and our local residents as well, because they've been taking them as well on different aspects of Hawaiian history. Um, we have a Chamberlain's tour and John will tell you he has history in his family as Chamberlain's here at the palace. You know, it's, it's things that people didn't know about our Li'i and our community. And so we're putting together these specialty tours and like all of our social distancing guideline, it's only like four people, uh, four or five people max that can go on these tours. So we're putting them at a higher price point. But I think what we've noticed pre-COVID and now during COVID is that our visitors were asking for more anyway. You know, they came in and so many of them did not have any idea that we had been a sovereign independent kingdom. They just know Hawaii became a state. You know, it's not taught in many, many places. And so I think this is a real chance for different sections of the visitor industry to educate tourists and, and to make it in a way where they feel really interested and really comfortable in it. 
they were asking a lot of questions pre-COVID. I think the silver lining with COVID is that it is a kako thing, right? Throughout the honua, the world, we're all kind of brought together because we're all experiencing all of this and it's on the same level. You know, we have shutdowns, we have sickness, we have so forth, you know, and we're all looking for that vaccination. And it really is a kako honua, it's a worldwide thing that we're all kind of brought together um, at this moment. And I think this connectivity is really important. And I think Hawaii can share so much. Um, it, it's not only sharing the Hawaiian culture, um, which I think is so important, right? And, and people don't wanna learn just aloha. I think there's so much more. It's all of our cultural values. It's our best practices. It's our arts and crafts. They wanna see that. But Hawaii is the melting pot, right? We always say that, but let's take that to a stronger level, right? We are able to do a deep dive into dozens of cultures from around the world who over the years and over the decades and the centuries have come here and called Hawaii home. So it's not only um, lifting up our Hawaiian culture, which is so important, but it's lifting up all the others. And that kind of goes back to Iolani Palace. You know, Kalakaua really was the Renaissance man who had one foot firmly planted in the past, but another one firmly planted in the future. And he had a vision uh, for not only the kingdom of Hawaii, but for the world. You know, at one point in time, the kingdom of Hawaii had more than two dozen treaties with independent nations around the world. When Belgium became an independent sovereign government, the very first government to recognize them was the kingdom of Hawaii. When the White House had its very first state dinner ever in the history of the White House, it was for King Kalakaua. So we were definitely on a level that was with all the other sovereign nations in the world. And Kalakaua was uh, trying to put together what he called an Oceania Federation. He believed that as a sovereign nation in Hawaii, it could be the role model for sovereign nations all around the Pacific and that together they would, they would work together. Part of it, of course, was for um, being safe, you know, against warring nations, but also he, he saw us as being an economic um, federation. It never happened because of what was going on with, um, you know, Western independence and, and, and so forth. And so, but I think the roots to that are still there. I think we could really become that melting pot, lifting up Hawaii and lifting up so many other nations. And I think that's important. And I think that really brings us to a point where we can have fewer, because we don't know when it's going to go back to normal or what will our normal be right and that pivot will probably be continuing on for years but i think it gives us a chance to really redefine our visitor industry and i'm, I'm excited about that we're excited about that but right now as as everyone's saying it's what do we do besides in person because in person i can only have so many people here right now as a state park my park grounds are closed philip is our wonderful events coordinator here and he'll tell you we can't have events here right now um, and so it's it's a tough one to look at that you know this is a beautiful place to be we were supposed to be the host for the opening ceremonies of FESPAC the Festival of Pacific we were expecting seven to ten thousand people on the grounds we were hosting the um, Prince Lat Hula Festival and so many other wonderful events and Onipa for the Queen and all of that has had to go away 
and turn to something virtual. Um, I can tell you that we've been getting phone calls from people who are looking to do events later in the year. We have um, a couple of weddings that are booked for later in the year, but they all know that they may have to completely change their ideas depending on where we are with COVID. We do have a virtual tour that's online. It's a 3D virtual tour of the palace. But what we found out was that Iolani Palace is a 138 year old home and she's not Wi-Fi friendly. And we're not really a high tech organization. We're working on it though. So we've been bringing in people to take a look and see what we can and can't do to try to boost our connectivity that way so that we can start monetizing and sharing so many other things with Hawaii and the world. And there are so many issues that we have to face being a leaseholder of the state for this property. We can't trench to put in you know, fiber optics or anything like that. So we're working on that. Um, we're working on some amazing school tours for, uh, for our keiki that range from kindergarten all the way through, you know, little kids learning about who are Ali'i, what is a kahili, what is aloha, all the way up to kingdom diplomacy and, you know, for the upper level children. So we're working on that um, and, and working around how to make that virtual. But we keep getting um, so many requests from people around the world who want to be able to tour the palace virtually. And so we're working on that. Um, and it's, it's just been really tough because we are not, you know, set up technologically with the palace and there's so few things we can do. Um, but it's been, a, it's been an, interesting, um, an interesting journey. And I think really the silver lining in all of this is it, it forced all of us to pause and to really think of where we're going and for us to pivot and see the larger picture for Iolani Palace. We're, we're an attraction, but we're not an attraction. You know, we have beautiful grounds, but if our grounds are open to the public, it's also open to the homeless. And so we walk this really thin line on how we can actually, you know, be able to utilize things outside, which post COVID are more peaceable, you know, more, um, you know, appropriate. And so, we're unable to do that right now. And so it's it's really making us think and dive deep. But there's so much more that the palace has to share. And I really think the palace is a special place and there are so many cultural treasures throughout the islands, Hawaiian and non-Hawaiian that we can be sharing with our visitor industry. Um, and I think that's just really important. We've been seeing visitors come in though and they've been wearing their masks. You know, that was our biggest fear as well was Will they wear the mask? Will we see the people coming in saying, I don't have to wear a mask? Uh, but luckily, we haven't had that problem um, so far. And I knock on wood um, that we won't um, because we really try to lead by, by the queen's vision of kapu aloha and welcoming everyone and sharing everything that we have to, to share with them here at this remarkable place. So knock on wood, as soon as we can get a lot of that IT kind of things straightened out, those technological problems in this remarkable building, then we're going to really try to launch her as a cultural and educational platform. Who better to learn about STEM self, um, STEM skills, STEM education than from the STEM educator and promoter himself, Kalakaua, you know, who spent a week with Thomas Edison, 
brought electricity to the palace four years before the White House. Who better to learn kingdom diplomacy and kapualoha than through Kalakaua and Lili'uokalani? Who better to learn about how to give and continue to give to your people than Queen Kapi'olani and Queen Emma and the hospitals that they set up? There's so many, so many lessons that we can share through the eyes of the people who walk through the hallways here. And of course, it'll be a virtual share. We just need to get to that point as well. So that's what work we are working on at the palace. But we've been really, really doing um, as well as we can with the social distancing and the government restrictions and just hoping to see us, you know, get to tier three someday. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's about all for me right now. I look forward to um, talking uh, with you during the panel. Thanks, Paulo. We look forward to seeing the virtual, uh, but of course being there in person. Um, next, we have Julia Aragaki. She's one of the most influential ex executives in Hawaii's wedding industry. She is the owner and publisher of Hawaii Wedding Style Magazine, founder of Hawaii, I can't speak today, <laughs> founder of Wedding Week Hawaii and a partner with The Best Hawaii Wedding. She is also the owner of Moments Memories Photography, and she's a journalism, public relations, and speech graduate of the University of Hawaii. Hi, Julie. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm so excited to share um, our wedding market recovery plan um, post um, pandemic. So let me um, start with sharing a video with you to kind of explain um, what our thoughts are on this. Uh, Julie, we can't hear. Oh. Uh, turn the mic on on the video. Okay, hold on one second. Let me start this again. Sorry about that, guys. Let me just. Can you guys play it on your end? I think you just got to click on the, the speaker on the bottom of the video. It's not good. Can we hold on? No, it says it's uh, off. It was on. Can you guys play it on your end? Yeah, we can try. Can you unshare your screen? Thank you. Okay. Sorry about that, guys. All right, we'll try this. In weddings, it's all about the details. So who better to make sure the COVID-19 safety protocols are in place than Hawaii's wedding professionals? The health and safety of our teams, clients, and community are of the utmost importance to us. Hawaii is ready to say I do with a conservative and safe plan to get Hawaii's $16 billion industry up and running down the aisle again. 
We understand that the wedding industry will be a different one moving forward. Hawaii's wedding coordinators, photographers, videographers, florists, stylists, entertainers, rentals, officiants, and transportation services are just some of the businesses that have been hit hard since the start of this pandemic. The best place to start the opening of Hawaii's wedding industry is alongside the pre-test travel program that started on October 15th. Since most travelers arriving in the islands will be tested and confirmed negative for COVID-19, we believe that this will offer a safe environment for couples and their guests. The wedding couple, along with their wedding professionals, will take an extra step to ensure that everyone, including the vendors and their guests, have been tested prior to the wedding and will keep all contact information on file for contact tracing. For Kama'aina couples, limiting gatherings to 25 will make it possible for parents, grandparents, and siblings to attend this once-in-a-lifetime event. Weddings and elopements pose very little safety concerns as they are able to be a no-touch service and group sizes can be controlled. Let's make the dreams of our wedding couples come true in a smart and safe way. So the only thing that we're spreading is love and joy. Thank you. <laughs> so I wanted to also share um, some other thoughts with you that um, we have in regards to safely opening up the wedding industry in Hawaii. And um, let me just get this up and running for you. So sorry, guys. Okay. So the wedding market recovery, the next step. So um, what we're planning to do in addition to um, working with the government to open up um, the, in, uh, the events or wedding events um, business, in addition to the pre-test travel program, we're trying to um, have our government make uh, or deem commercial events different from private events. So commercial events is defined as an entity um, which basically is there to profit on an event and weddings are considered a commercial activity um, because the host or the wedding couple will hire commercial companies like photographers, florists, officiants, coordinators, etc., in order to um, execute their events. Um, and then again, we want to safely do this. So we would, you know, start at a guest count at, at, of 25. And then private events would be events that will fall under to the current group gathering count. And these events are basically hosted by the couple and it's taking place at, on a non-commercial venue commercial venue and com non-commercial companies will be servicing the event. So again, we, you know, for those types of events that are non-commercial, they will fall into the tiered um, system gathering count at the time of their event. In addition to that, um, we are also working with the Chamber of Commerce of Hawaii, Small Business Advisory Group. And we're coming up with a gold star program that um, you know, the governor was really interested in learning more about. And basically what that is, is, um, and it doesn't only include the wedding industry, but it's all businesses across the board. But what it is, is we're gonna be setting up um, you know, uh, COVID procedures and, and guidelines that all businesses have to follow in their specific industry. And once they receive their gold star, 
uh, they'll be able to stay open if we went back to tier one where we're in another shutdown. So we're in the process of working with uh, Governor Ige, Lieutenant Governor, uh, some of the senators and representatives to get this Gold Star program going. And so um, we will be um, keeping you posted as far as how that program is going as well. Um, so basically the effects of the pandemic, um, as you know, um, it's, it's been an, an economic disaster for our industry. Um, sorry. Basically, we have shut down completely. Um, and with gatherings being up to five, including your vendors, it makes it very hard for anyone to actually have a wedding that would be um, something that they would remember <laughs> because the, um, you know, some of the couples will have to choose if they want mom or dad there or just you know grandparents won't be allowed just because the group count is at five so um in addition to that we've had several um wedding specialists that have had have to move off island um because they no longer can do business here and we had a lot of them also pivot industries as well so there was like a lot of economic effect um to the shutdown of events um, during the pandemic. And then as we all know that the Japanese market is very, very um, you know, lucrative in our state. And basically all the Japanese weddings have been kind of put on hold. Right now they're staying till March, but depending on you know, how we're opening up, um, that will possibly be pushed back to later on during the year. So um, as far as what's new in weddings, um, because of the pandemic, um, we've had um, micro weddings happening. Um, and with the micro weddings, we actually also created um, me and you just as two packages. So basically it's just an elopement with the minister and um, the couple. Um, in addition to that, we have hybrid events, which is an, a Zoom element so that multiple people will be able to attend the wedding virtually since we're only limited to five people at this time. And then also drive through weddings. So, um, you know, those are some of the things that we've all had to um, kind of pivot upon the, the start of the pandemic. So, um, sorry, we'll do questions for later. So if anybody has any questions in regards to the wedding industry, I'd be more than happy to help them or if they want more information on our Gold Star program that we're working on, um, you know, we can always keep in contact and I can kind of get everybody additional information on that. Thank you, Julie. Really appreciate that. All those details, really exciting to see um, what we can do with our weddings market. So now we'll move into the panel question portion of the webinar. If all the panelists could turn on your cameras and keep muted unless speaking, we will, we will be asking each of you a few questions in the same order as you were presented, starting with Philip and Tiffany and ending with Julie. Please keep your responses to no longer than one minute. I know it's quick, but one minute. This portion will be moderated by two of our current students at the University of Hawaii, Alexandra Chiao and Michelle Ota. The questions in this panel Q&A were developed by current students studying at the university. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, Sandy. We're excited to be part of today's panel. So like she said, the first question will be for Philip and Tiffany. This comes from Taylor Ledgerwood, a travel industry management major graduating in spring of 2023. Apart from your popular and stylish rental inventory, what's your rental company event accents 
going to be offering the meeting planner that is COVID specific to enhance the social distancing requirements. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, honestly, it's a day-to-day -day trial as the world evolves. We must be open-minded and flexible. We're offering clients options on enhancing sterile, sterile environments by utilizing dividers that aren't obtrusive and more so focused on tying cohesively with our clients' overall theme. So at gatherings of um, a handful of friends, guests are permitted, we are creatively conceptualizing self-sufficient pods that each guest has their own lounge chair, side table, and power cord. So it's really trying to enforce keeping the distance and basically everyone is self-sufficient in that event space. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to hear. Our next question is for Terry. This comes from Kimmy Straubi, Executive MBA student graduating spring 2021. How has their sales strategy and organization changed and what markets are you targeting to build future business? Well, as the state of Hawaii opens up travel options, we're following the recommendations of public health officials and evaluating 2021 opportunities to provide meeting spaces and event options in a safe open air environment. Um, we continue to keep our, our um, center open and our focus for at least the immediate future, short-term business will be local, our local um, events. There's a lot of corporations and companies out there that still wanna hold their an annual meetings and conferences. Um, I think many of the other panelists have um, spoken in reference to um, this coalition that we put together to really educate our government leaders before making um, decisions on restrictions on really um, separating events and meetings from social gatherings because they are different, um, you know, events and meetings are controlled environments, um, you know, somewhat similar to weddings and other corporate events versus a concert or, um, you know, other events where it's a little harder to police social distancing. So I think, you know, together we're coming as a community to try to educate our government leaders when they are making these restrictions moving forward, that they have a better understanding of our business model so that we can continue to do business um, safely. Um, you know, so I think for, for future business, um, short term to answer the question, we are going to rely on local events. And then of course, working with our hotel partners and sales teams to look at a brighter future for conventions and larger meetings moving forward. Thank you. Thanks, Terry. Mm -hmm. Next question is for John from Jordan Abonto, a HR and accounting major graduating very soon in fall 2020. So one of the biggest movements in 2020 is the need to source our food supply locally and support Hawaii businesses. As we heard earlier, Kulo Ranch offers beef, pork, oysters, shrimp, and tilapia. Are there any additional food categories you're planning to provide for our communities? Yes, thanks, Michelle. Uh, yeah, we, uh, we already do provide other food. We have eggs, ulu, taro, banana, papaya, cacao, um, and, and some exotic fruits like dragon fruit and, and other things. Um, we got quite a lot of ulu that's planted uh, and, and one of our bigger initiatives is looking for value added uh, 
products that we can we can you know we can increase the you know the, the market value um uh, we're always open to ideas uh restaurants are are you know key customers of ours uh but uh we get our ideas from the public sometimes uh we're we're, we're hoping that somebody will will come up with a an efficient way to make oodle vodka that's a that would be a that would be a great uh you know sexy crop if you want to call it that but um but anyway um that's uh that's that's part of our our ag expansion again our business model is also integrating agriculture with tours uh and and uh, so we're a lot more inclined to expand ag when we can integrate it into tours so Value-added products and integration into tours is is, uh, is very helpful in expanding agriculture for us. Thanks. Thanks, John. That's amazing. I personally didn't know about all of the agricultural offerings. Next, our, we have a question for Paula from Quinn Sumida, another travel industry management major, graduating in spring 2024. So, with children around the world being affected academically by this pandemic. Visitors traveling here to Hawaii may find opportunity during their stay to create a learning experience for their children. What enriching activities or experiences would you recommend for our visiting families to do when staying here on the islands? Oh, you know, I have to think back to um, my kids who are way beyond that now. Uh, I do have grandchildren who unfortunately live all the way in Minnesota. So when they do come here, there's things that I really like them to see. Um, one, Iolani Palace. Um, that it's not hands-on, it's not hands-on for anyone. <laughs> so, um, but there's a lot to offer children when they come through here um, to see some of that. And we are, we're actually working on some children tours uh, online that I think will be a big benefit to a lot of, of parents and teachers. But when my granddaughter came here, a couple of the things that I was really interested in sharing with her is the Children's Discovery Center, um, going to Bishop Museum, and also being part of the Voyage Yukunu Hokuleo was, it was one of the days that they had open to the public. She just thought it was phenomenal, right? And she kind of looks like Moana. So, you know, she's like, this is my va, right? Uh, and at that point in time, she was about six years old and, and that was truly a great experience. Um, I've taken them to, you know, visit Kualoa Ranch. They're a little young to do the horseback riding, but now they're at that age. Um, I think that's an interesting thing as well. I took them out to Ma'o Farm so they could see what it was like. I mean, they see cornfields in Minnesota, but here to see, um, you know, what else was being grown, they were really interested in that. You know, I think there's, there's more than just the beach uh, for our youngsters that come to the islands and, and for small children. Um, I think more and more of the attractions are trying to fit in something for that younger generation. You know, in the past, especially museums like our, ourselves and the others didn't really have anything for kids because you, quite frankly, I think the idea was you didn't want small kids walking through a museum, right? But I think all of the um, different cultural organizations and museums are, are really working on that because we see more and more families traveling. And so I think we're gonna see more of that in the future. Thanks Paula, that was a lot of options, really great. And finally, we have a question for Julie from Kayla Maki, a human resources major, graduating also fall 2020. Are there contingency plans, I'm sorry, contingency plans for 2021 in place for the wedding and event businesses if we do return to a lockdown status? 
So hopefully um, we will be able to get our gold star program in place so that we would be able to follow our own set of rules in order to stay open during um, another shutdown and to be able to facilitate um, their wedding event. Um, but, you know, since COVID started, I think um, we've all learned in the industry how to be very, very, very flexible. And I think also too, uh, the couples have also um, learned um, the word flexibility. Um, I know at the beginning of the pandemic, when we were kind of shuffling, we had to shuffle events around or reschedule, um, the reactions that you would get from you know, some of the brides and grooms, of course, you know, it was it was devastating for them because they had worked all this time to plan their event. Um, and so the, the reaction was a little bit, um, I guess, hard for them or and and it was it, it wasn't a real positive thing, I guess. But now, um, as you know, we have some events that are going into their third reschedule. And I think at this point, everyone is just at the point where that's just part of life and we all need to be flexible and the more flexible we are it seems that you know we'll be able to overcome um executing their events um you know and some of them have chosen to just elope and then when things open up again to larger groups they'll go ahead and go back to hopefully plan a gathering of 50 or more so um yeah things will be different but you know it it's it's flexibility that we all need to kind of work with at this time, especially for events. Thank you, Julie. Yes, hopefully we won't see another lockdown in the future. And I'll pass things over to Alex. She'll be asking the next round of panel questions. Thank you, Michelle. So the next question is for Philip and Tiffany. It's from Aaron Rowe, an executive MBA student graduating in spring 2021. What are your thoughts on creating a mix of virtual and in-person events? For example, an incentive travel event could have both employees traveling to Hawaii and employees staying home to participate virtually. Thank you. Um, so as my dad mentioned earlier, we see a hybrid event evolving. However, that will take a different format based on the type of event. For instance, a seminar training experience with exhibitions and real-time engagement with lecturers and exhibitors. This will be very different to an incentive group's hybrid event where the virtual attendee will just get a taste of what is going on and may not end up engaging with the physical attendees. Basically, an incentive experience focuses on the top salespeople and should only tease the virtual attendees to sell better next year. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for that insight. Our next question is for Terry. It's from Isaiah Sabi, a finance major graduating in spring 2021. Meetings and conventions are usually attended by thousands of attendees from all over the world. Do you expect these attendees to be cautious about coming to Hawaii and to a large convention? Absolutely. I think attendees are naturally going to be very cautious about traveling right now, especially knowing that, you know, large gatherings could potentially be a risk um, to, you know, expose themselves. And so I think communication and educating our attendees to what we are doing as a destination to ensure a safe one travel to Hawaii to start off with safe transportation, um, you know, every sector of travel is implementing 
safety and health protocols now. And I think we just need to ensure that those that are considering Hawaii for a meeting, that they are comfortable with what everyone has put in place to ensure a safe environment for them as a destination. I mean, we're all in this together. It's not just the Hawaii Convention Center, you know, cleaning and sanitizing and putting up sneeze guards. It's it's from the moment they step off the plane, they have to feel a sense of security that Hawaii's got this dialed in from the moment they step off the plane and through the airport to the time they get into the taxi cab or tour bus to the time they get to their hotel. Um, and then to the time that they attend the meeting, I think it's, you know, communication, communication, and more communication and ensuring that they feel comfortable selecting us as a destination. Um, you know, and of course, there are going to be changes to our business model in the meetings market. It's looking at hybrid for now. And, you know, hopefully that I think that will always be an option moving forward. We've kind of pushed ourselves into this position of being more advanced in technology um, sooner than later. I mean, I think hybrid meetings were always going to be a thing of the future. I think it's just pushed us there faster. Um, but, you know, to what Philip um, has mentioned, there's nothing like face-to-face -face meetings and gatherings. There's a sense of connectivity and engagement that you can't get through a Zoom call. And I think, you know, Although hybrid will be available, you know, streaming options for those that can't travel, I think once we start to get this pandemic under control and we can ensure that our customers and visitors um, look at us as a safe destination, I think they always will want to come and to be able to touch and feel and smell and experience Hawaii the way we all want them to. So. Um, you know, I think for us, it's providing options short term, and then obviously looking at uh, modified business, um, modified business for meeting model for the future and, and always wanting to bring people to Hawaii. And, you know, I think in, in time, um, Hawaii will always be a sought off destination regardless. Um, I think most people like it was mentioned earlier, there's a lot of frustration built up with lockdowns and restrictions. I think once we get to a point of, you know, less restrictions, people are going to want to travel. And I myself can't wait. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you, Terry. Agreed. I still think people are going to want to come travel to Hawaii. And I know I can't wait to go and travel to the rest of the world as well. Our next question is for John. It's from Jonathan Delahoy, an executive MBA student graduating in spring 2021. Have you noticed the change in the type of tours and activities being booked now that our visitor arrivals are increasing? If so, what activities are gaining in popularity and has there been a change in our visitor demographic? Oh, I'm sorry, John, you're muted. Thanks. Um, that's a good question. Yes, we have noticed uh, a change in you know the the type of tours. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we had five different activities and six different tours, and uh, the majority of our customers would take what we call the uh, the lower price, uh, shorter duration tours, and and actually it shifted to the the higher price, longer tours. Uh, so, for example, the two-hour ATV ride or, or our new uh, hybrid uh, Jurassic Adventure Tour 
which is a higher price point, uh, sells for $119, I think it is. And um, uh, so our, our, our revenue per customer has definitely gone up uh, as we've transitioned and pivoted in this, in this market. Um, we haven't really noticed the change in the type of visitor. It's more what they're, what they're choosing to do. So it's, uh, that's, been, uh, that's been an interesting observation. Thank you, John. We have a couple more student questions for our panel discussion, but we are running short of time on time. So as a reminder, please keep your responses to about one minute. Our next question is for Paula. It's from Chloe Tsienger, a travel industry management major, um, graduating with Tim in 2023. Many students that attend the university are from the mainland and internationally. In a few sentences, how can you explain the value of learning and visiting Iolani Palace? Thank you for that question. Oh my gosh, you know, especially for university students um, from around the world. Like I said, we have so many people who come to the islands and they have, they just know that Hawaii became a state. They may not even know when we became a state, but that's all they know. And there's so much more for them to learn. And so when you come to Iolani Palace, you're learning, you're really learning the history of Hawaii from that point of view. You know, you're learning where we were as an independent sovereign nation the overthrow, the different provisional and republic and territorial governments that led up to today. So it kind of gives you a good grounding for knowing, you know, what Hawaii has gone through, what the people of Hawaii have gone through and where we are today and why we are. And with these specialty tours that we're offering now, you're learning a little bit more about, you know, the people who really were the movers and shakers in our government and, and explaining some of the situations and the relationships that we have with the different countries today. So there's so much for them to learn um, that can help them, I think, in their studies and in their life. Thank you, Paula. Our last question is for Julie. It's from Anna Dow, a human resource and management major graduating in spring 2022. What new businesses or services have you been creating for the wedding industry during 2020 that will remain part of the industry moving forward? I want to say the one thing that I think will be around um, for the future would be the hybrid element to any wedding. I think, um, you know, of course we want all of our loved ones and friends uh, to be there in person, but especially for the destination weddings when, you know, a lot of times it takes traveling and, you know, it does cost a little bit more to attend um, a destination wedding. Um, I think it'll give their close family and friends that are not able to make the travel, um, the opportunity to attend the special event virtually um, and share that special day with uh, their close family and friends. Thank you, Julie. The wedding industry looks like it's on its way back to recovery. That concludes our panel discussion and I'll hand it over to Trevor. Thank you guys. I appreciate everybody taking uh, the time for the panel discussions. And unfortunately we didn't have time to get to the Q and A. So if anybody does have questions, any of the attendees, please um, send them in the follow-up email that's gonna come um, in a couple of days. Um, so let's kick it back to Sandy and Toby to close out the conversation for our final webinar. Well, Toby, that brings us to the end of our reopening series. Over the past two months, we were able to bring 42 specialists from the airline, hotel, restaurant, retail, activities, and event industries, and lots of delicious food. You can visit scheidler.com.edu slash reopening tourism to see our past webinars. Yeah, we had over 3,000 people tune into these webinars over the past two months, and thousands more through YouTube, Vimeo, and our website partners. 
the Shiloh College of Business and Brain Gain Hawaii, also known as Save Hawaii Jobs and Businesses. These webinars are featured on KHON, KITV, Pacific Edge Magazine, Pacific Business News, and countless other media in Hawaii. Thank you for all your support. And as we mentioned earlier, these free webinars are brought to you by the University of Hawaii Shidler College of Business and Travel Industry Management Alumni Associations. If you enjoy these webinars and are able to give, please consider a don donation to the college's Shidler Strong campaign at shidler.hawaii.edu strong. I'd like to give a special thank you to all of the board of directors from the University of Hawaii Shidler College of Business Alumni Association, as well as the Travel Industry Management um, you guys just been so amazing helping us out put this all together. Each week, two different board of directors volunteered their time to coordinate speakers and moderate the panels. So I guess that's it. Now I don't know what I'm going to do Tuesday mornings for the rest of the year. <laughs> Same. And a final thank you to you. We appreciate the time that you invested into watching our reopening tourism series. Thank you to all of our panelists for sharing your guidance and providing us with hope as we move forward through this time together. We appreciate all that you are doing to reopen our economy safely. Aloha.